0: Hello and welcome back to episode two of the Too Stupid to Quit podcast. A podcast where me, actor, musician and voice artist Josh Stamford, and my very good friend, director Danny Baldwin, talk to all kinds of creatives at different stages of their careers about their journeys to where
1: they are now. That is right, Josh. (laughs) We'll be talking to them about their struggles, successes and any advice they picked up along the way. And most importantly, what makes them Too stupid to quit.
0: Uh, So, uh, as we've mentioned previously, we're going to be talking to actors, writers, directors,
1: musicians, composers, comedians, artists, and everyone in between. And as we mentioned last week, as you most likely won't know too much about us, or you know some about me because I've done one, but won't know much about Josh, this week we'll be uh, doing Josh. Yeah. Action! I got there first. (sighs) Ah...
0: Before going on stage, I will just, like, shit and vomit until there's nothing left inside me. I think all the DOPs and directors just got fed up with the glare from
1: my bald bald head. Ooh. Oh, wow. So, Josh is a brilliant, multi-talented performer. An actor, musician and voice artist. Boy, this kid can do everything. <laughs> He was educated at a private boys' school in the northwest of England before going on to study at the University of York. He then trained as an actor at the prestigious Drama Centre London, where we met. After Drama Centre and having been signed by top agents in London and Los Angeles, he went on to work on some big-budget movies with directors like Alex Garland and Michael Cuesta. Now pushing his music, Josh's debut EP is due for release in June well, maybe July. Who knows?
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm being a bit nonspecific about that. I do apologize.
1: <laughs> and finally, Josh looks like a cross between Tom Hardy and a soft-boiled egg. So you'll <laughs> definitely want to crack him open and dip your soldier in. <laughs> <laughs> For fuck's sake. Uh, so I thought, um, seeing as your warm-up idea last week worked so well, I've taken the executive decision to make it a regular feature. Um, nice. So I'm going to warm you up with some questionable questions. I like that. That's, that's good. Right. Okay. So question one. You yeah. have been cast in a film. It's set to be an Oscar contender. It's big. Christopher Nolan is directing, although mm. he doesn't do any Oscar nominated films. Mm. You're starring alongside acting legend, Gary Oldman. It's Love an it. intimate scene and he's close. Very close. But his breath is rancid. So bad you can almost taste it. You have a pack of polos in your pocket. What do you do? Uh, well, hmm. Gary Oldman's a fucking legend. So yeah. let's let's
0: let's state that first. I mean, can I can I use it? What kind of scene is it? Is he is he mad at me? Can I can I take? No, sorry, I got hiccups because I'm drinking green tea. Um, can I Great take, for the podcast? Can I, can I take that rancid breath and? um, use it to enhance my acting
1: it's intimate in the sense that you are um brothers in arms it's a very uh tight scene and he he's uh trying to give you some good advice and and you're very fond of him
0: so so basically what you're saying is you can either have to offer him a a polo or not basically
1: i mean if you want to reduce the question down to its bare minimum (laughs) The, the The question is do you give him a polo, don't you, and if you don't, what do you do okay i
0: I would never disrespect Gary Oldman like that um so i would I would mash the polos into a fine powder mm. and in between takes I would just snort them so, <laughs> <laughs> so so my my sense of smell is just overwhelmed with menthol oh aroma. That's amazing that is yeah.
1: so outside the box I didn't think. You <laughs> Excellent. Right. So question two on this big movie you're in uh, with Christopher Nolan. I turn up on set unannounced. And within five minutes, I'm fumbling around. I spill coffee (laughs) on Scarlett Johansson. She's pissed. Costumes pissed. Everyone's like, who the hell is this guy? Uh, You're sort of getting a bit flustered (laughs) with me being there. And I, I take you to the side. I'm like, Josh, man. What would be really great is if you could get me some FaceTime with Christopher. Can you hook me up? Christopher Nolan. Yeah. You want, you want to speak to him? Um
0: it, I mean, it sounds like based on your description of yourself and 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 knowing you very well, um, it sounds like you're drunk. You're, <laughs> it sounds like you're doing your sort of flamboyant Danny dancing <laughs> and spilling coffee all over Scarlett Johansson, who uh, I didn't realize she was in this cast. But, hey, I'll go with it. Um, What would I do? Look, I I firmly believe that you got to help a brother out, right? Uh, yes. So um, I'd bring you with me, and I'd say, Danny, hang your head in shame, okay? And you, you'd have your arms behind your back. You'd have your your, your big Smeagol eyes <laughs> looking down to the floor with a really sad frown, um, like a sad sad clown. Yeah. And I'd say, Christopher, this is this is my friend Danny. I'm sorry, he's He's caused such a an issue on set. It's always the way. But um <laughs> look at that face. Look look at those eyes. And you'd look up into his eyes. Like puss boots. Yeah. And uh yeah, I think he'd tell us both to fuck <laughs> off.
1: <laughs> well, seeing as that, uh, I mean that's very nice of you to hook me up still. Thank yeah, you very I tried. much. I tried. You got some FaceTime. That really smoothly brings us on to question three. Uh so the interaction goes very badly with Christopher, <laughs> yeah, very badly, and you get fired. What? Yeah, you're off. You, you're. Sad. How do you feel about that? Jason Statham has taken over for you. <laughs> <laughs> what? Because he's bald. They they can
0: only have bald actors. Fucking discrimination. They, I mean,
1: in the character description, it's bald. The whole script is about you being bald. It's called <laughs> "My Baldness." Um, <laughs> how how imaginative. <laughs> and um i feel awful i feel really bad and i decide to write a short film just for you to to make up and so that you can still get some filming in Uh, it's a narrative based on the saga of humpty dumpty (laughs) you play humpty Um,
0: No, you can fuck off
1: (laughs) how yeah do do you do the film um you're an unemployed actor at this point and you have no (laughs) other options how much is it paying (laughs) it's pro bono we've basically decided (laughs) that if if it makes any money uh we'll split the profit (laughs) what's your vision for the film are we thinking tim burton are we thinking it's it's the bad end of tim burton films
0: i think you'd be lucky to salvage a friendship at this point without trying to drag me into your fucking bullshit concept <laughs> humpty dumpty film which is clearly aimed to further insult my baldness
1: <laughs> look listeners um you've heard it he won't take any job that comes along only with christopher nolan so any casting directors out there uh be warned humpty dumpty is not for him <laughs> <laughs> uh... Okay, let's crack on to the real thing now, man. Okay. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great soul. All the kings husbands and all the kings men
0: gone and found Humpty
1: together again. Right, to kick things off, I want to take you all the way back to little childhood Joshie um, and find out what... what your household was like was it a creative one or you know was that sort of artistic streak not present in your household Uh, it's funny it's it's a bit of both there were no sort of professional
0: artists in the family Mm. um although i believe my dad's mum was an art teacher um my dad worked in finance, but he's actually a really, really talented musician and he always had loads of guitars lying around, pianos, et cetera. Mm. So I think I think that was probably a, a big influence. We were sort of encouraged to to
1: pick up instruments from an early age. And stuff was just lying around to be played with, right?
0: Yeah. So it was it was it was all sort of self-taught. I think my dad gave us both a few guitar lessons Mm. maybe a few sort of piano lessons but but ultimately we were really encouraged to just listen to good music Mm -hmm. and and sort of pick it up like that you know by ear um which explains why i still don't understand music theory (laughs) sort of never got around to it and other than that my mum was sort of really playful and really encouraged us to be yeah, just, just playful and, and creative and, and, you know, drawing and painting and all that sort of thing. Mm. And then I guess you had the influence from my mum's sister's side. I had two younger cousins who were, they're both girls and they were, you know, into into musicals and, and dressing up and all that sort of thing. And and my auntie is a really talented painter and, and uh, good with pottery and that sort of thing. We spent a lot of time with them. I think that had a big influence on me in terms
1: of, you know, dressing up in silly costumes <laughs> and putting on little performances Aww. and um yeah i mean it sounds like you had a very creative upbringing lots of people who were interested in the arts and and creativity maybe not so much you know the monetization of their art but it sounds like it was a very creative upbringing
0: yeah i guess it, i guess it is quite a creative family but but not in a sort of there's no one notable or anything like that there's no there's no industry links
1: and so what was your way into performing? When was your first performance? So I, I think music was my proper first
0: move into the performance. Um, mm. I was in a rock band when I was about 11, I think. Um, the band was called Aorta. Oh, God. Yeah. Beautiful. Rock and roll. Um, so that was with my older brother and uh, a couple of his friends. And mm. I think I always wanted to be like a front man, like sing and, and play guitar. But oh. I was a few years younger than my brother. So he just sort of
1: in the back playing bass. He, he just handed me a
0: bass. <laughs> yeah. And was like, learn this so you can be in our band. <laughs> Otherwise, you're not in. um So I did. And we played a few gigs for charity events. Um, yeah. I think that was definitely my first sort of taste of. People looking at me um, and and mm. getting some recognition. Did you like it? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. Um, especially uh-huh. the sort of middle-aged women asking for autographs. You know, the mums.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there is there is nothing better than other people's mums <laughs> liking you. <laughs> it's like one of the best feelings in yeah. the world. Yeah. The the downside was that
0: I I did have quite bad stage fright, uh, which carried on indefinitely, really. Um, but but yeah. It was worth it.
1: What about acting? When, when did that start?
0: That was a few years later, I think, uh, probably around the age of 14, I'd say. That was at school. in our, We had um, houses at school, a bit like Hogwarts, and we had sort of inter-house competitions every year. And the house drama competition was quite popular. I actually got tricked into into it. In a way, I, I signed up for it, yeah. but, I, but I sort of said to them, I just want to do something small to, you know, try and feel my way onto the uh, onto the boards. So it was Bill Shakespeare's Taming of the Shrew. And, and when I say I was tricked, they, they obliged and they got me to audition for a part with two lines. But then they announced the cast a few weeks later and I was told I'd be playing Petruchio, who, as it turned out, was the male lead. So oh, fuck nice. them, fuck them. But but love, love to them as well, I guess. Otherwise, yeah, I guess fun. they
1: kicked it all off. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that you had stage fright. How was that? Did that transfer into the acting?
0: Before going on stage, I will just like shit and vomit until there's nothing left inside me. Yeah, that stage fright. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but as soon as I got on stage, and it's still the case, I'm absolutely fine. It's like mm. once you're in the moment, in the scenes, it stops um but yeah i was terrified i'd never learned lines before but i think in the end we did really well i think we maybe came first or second in the competition but i won a special
1: award for best actor um let me just press the uh the applause button <laughs> the fanfare. thank you thank you my my only opportunity is to give a speech um for this award so thank you um <laughs> um you, you mentioned uh it's the first time you learned lines. How did you learn lines then? Is it, is it the same way you learn lines now? Yeah,
0: I think so. Just like just drilling over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over them.
1: Well, you um, just, what's the technique, though? Do you, you look at it? Do you write it down? Do both, you do sections? Both. both yeah. read it out,
0: write it down, mm. read through it, cover cover. You had a dog interruption. I've got children interruption. They're <laughs> you not have my, children? They're not my kids. Um Yeah, just you've just... got someone
1: else's children. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they're screaming. <laughs> <laughs> no, um... so I, I the reason I bring it that up about learning lines, because do you remember Pete at drama school, handsome Pete? Hans he mate. he um he was doing a, a play. I think it was in a play with Christabel. And he' spent more time researching how to learn lines than he did <laughs> learning the actual lines, and he'd message me sometimes be like ah oh, any tips on learning lines <laughs> and it was like a week before the show and um i was like pete have you learned any lines yet he's like no but but i've got some good techniques <laughs> <laughs> that that is classic pete
0: That's amazing oh dear
1: love you pete yeah um so were there any actors that really inspired you as a kid to to wanna pursue acting?
0: Yeah, man, hundred percent. Like I I've I've been a film nerd since my early teenage years. So there's there's more than I can even start to name really. Mm. You know, I could start listing off names, but it's a bit pointless.
1: Cool, I won't ask that question again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing you want me to say Tom Hardy. Well, I mean if that's what comes to mind. <laughs> um
0: yeah look tom hardy in the few years before drama school for sure uh hence i only applied to drama center where he trained and then where we trained um and and we met him a few times which was cool uh but i think i think these things change over time i think you can mm. you know you idolize someone for a for a period of time and i think to be honest once you come out of drama school and you have all the tools for a performance you can be sort of gently inspired by an actor Mm. Um, but I think ultimately you just kind of want to do your own yes. thing to it.
1: Yeah, that's nice way of putting it. Um, so you mentioned that uh, you only applied for Drama Centre. Um, mm. so you'd have to be pretty committed to the life of an actor by that point. Uh, by the point of application. Um, was that an easy decision? Yes and no. I actually
0: came across something on my computer the other day. Um, while well, I was just having a clear out I found this old spreadsheet which my dad made for me after I graduated from uni so from York before mm. I went to drama school um and it's it's basically a spreadsheet outlining all the pros and cons of me going down one of uh, I think it was about five career pathways um so it was like music acting uh, music production advertising tv production film production like that sort of thing mm-hmm um <laughs> to look down it and acting didn't fare too well against the others <laughs> in terms of security but I think I think in my head it was it was just what I wanted to do and and more importantly probably what I needed to do after um I I basically I'd had a nervous breakdown at the age of 17 um so it it may not have been the most stable pathway but it was certainly the clearest pathway in my mind um and yeah, like I said, I needed to do it, and I was lucky enough to have uh, a dad—well, parents, I should say—willing and and able to fund it. I guess.
1: Yeah. Oh, thanks, Dad and Mom. I'm just gonna wait the pause for a minute because I've been slowly sucking on this sweet. Yeah, um, you want to crunch it? And I just want to crunch it because my throat so sore.
0: Yeah, crunch it, baby. I want to hear that crunch. Give me, give me like some ASMR crunching. Oh. <sighs> wow that's turned nice. the mic up really you know that is nice oh oh i can feel it in my loins danny <laughs> <laughs> <You like that>? <laughs> <laughs> this is going in this isn't
1: getting cut All Right, right i'm sort stuck in my teeth now um I feel like it needs to get cut because we're, I'm just about to talk about your mental breakdown, and it feels <laughs> like I've just swept no, it under the carpet. No, it's fine. <laughs> just just plough through. <laughs> um, okay, so you mentioned you have mental breakdown. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's not even mental. But I just keep calling you a mental it's a nervous breakdown. Uh, uh, delicately put, Danny. Yeah, um, thanks. It's not something we actually speak about much, or I don't think ever ever really mm-hmm. sat down and spoke about properly yeah uh you just sort of mentioned it in passing a few yeah. years back when we first got to know each other yeah um but seeing as soon as now's a perfect chance to delve, delve into it what what happened
0: uh, look to cut a very long story short um it was a lot of change a lot of personal grief um, around the age of 17 and it, the culmination of which led me to develop severe anxiety depression and all the things that come with that so agoraphobia depersonalization disorder which is this thing where you feel like you're just not you just feel numb basically and agoraphobia
1: um, is when you don't, you don't want to go outside yeah
0: don't really want to do anything um so I was a me- I was a mess for about 3 years really I wasn't myself for 3 years I just lost my ability to
1: live really yeah I mean that's mad you know you're 30 now and yeah three years that's an easy 10 percent of your life
0: that's good math i mean never thought it of easy, it like doesn't it? it and that's I've never that's insane like to it. think
1: yeah. that 10 percent of your life was was spent um in turmoil when put it like that how does that make you feel yeah i mean it's that's
0: it's, i guess it's quite sad um yeah. but i think that if i hadn't gone through it then i would probably still be the sort of cocky little teenager that i was before it happened i think i learned a lot from it i think i I learned a lot about um the importance of self-deprecation and and just i think i got some wisdom from it
1: So, so what got you through that
0: um friends family therapy um loads of exercise um and honestly, just sort of getting back onto a pathway that seemed somehow predestined or right or fateful or something like that, yeah. um, which was my drama and literature course at York. And so does any of that stuff still affect you now? Um, not, not really consciously. I'd say there's still very much a sort of residual dark energy Okay something some yeah, <laughs> yeah like the um like the obscurial from uh fantastic beasts oh, nice. just just like a i don't know maybe a, a deep sadness yeah just like a dark energy somewhere mm. beneath but yeah not consciously it doesn't it doesn't come out day to day and i guess i know how to keep it small and not let it grow to the size where it destroys a whole city
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, except not very often Not very often. (laughs) What are those coping mechanisms that you have then?
0: Uh, The the main one is honestly just exercise. Right. Um, So if I feel my anxiety flaring up, um, which isn't necessarily to do with anything upcoming, it's Mm. not like a fear of an audition or, or anything like that. Sometimes it just builds up when my mind is racing or trying to concentrate on too many things at once. Or sometimes even if I just haven't exercised for a while, then yeah, just... I go for a, a long run and it seems to just refresh the system. Yeah, that's and, good. And
1: that, that energy gets smaller again. Oh, into a cute, manageable size. It's like, ah, uh, it's like Hello. <laughs> you know, in the last Harry Potter where Voldemort's underneath the train station seat <laughs> <and> it's this <laughs> decrepit, little, <laughs> horrible thing. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a weird little baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's too many Harry Potter references. <laughs> yeah love that shit (laughs) do you think that helps your creativity that horrible baby (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i think it's i think it definitely
0: definitely fuels it Mm. um and i definitely noticed on the acting side i definitely noticed a shift in my performance style and what i liked doing as well so i think before when i was at school and stuff i much preferred comedy performance yeah um Whereas now I like really serious and gritty drama,
1: <laughs> and it helps because um, you're not funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: I think I lost my humour when my hair fell out. Um, <laughs> but then on the music side, definitely, I don't think I'd have anything to write about had I not been oh, that's through interesting. that. It's not to, not to write about. That's probably the wrong way of putting it. But I, I think that's where it comes from for sure. That that little ball of Dark matter mm. within me. That is definitely where my musical energy
1: comes from, where it, where it grows from. God, it sounds so wanky. <laughs> I mean, we're sort of on a very important question now. Uh, when did your hair fall out?
0: <laughs> <laughs> this obsession needs to stop. Okay. Bald, look, people. Look. Bald people are equal.
1: Okay. okay. Right. Um, I mean, I yeah. bring up your baldness probably as much as you bring up the fact that I look like Smeagol. So I think it's a fair trade off. Um, yep. But in all honestly, when, when did all that kick off?
0: Uh, yeah, it was around around seventeen. 17 oh, 18. really? Yeah, yeah. It was when I was when I was going through all that shit. Um, oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> that's so sad. It <laughs> was a bald teenager. Yeah. <laughs> no, at that point, it only just sort of started creeping back. Right. Um, but you knew it was coming. I knew it was coming anyway because my dad is is bald as well, and and my granddad, and but not at seventeen. Like no one, no one at seventeen <laughs> thinks about. The <laughs> they hair. do they do a, a lot a, for a lot of people it starts then mine was definitely accelerated by the nervous breakdown yeah, yeah. but I, I think i was fortunate in the sense that i was sort of brave enough to to just be like yeah i'm just
1: gonna take it all off straight away i mean it helps you have a pretty face i think <laughs> <laughs> thank you for a lot of people or or you know people don't have great head shapes like not everyone can work it so i guess that's that's what's good yeah it's a it's not a bad shape egg. no it's a perfectly boiled egg. <laughs> so how how was that though? Did that knock your confidence at all? Because I'd be oh. like shattered. I'd be so <laughs> there's no coming back if I go bald. I've it's too much it's too much to work with in one become, face. You literally <laughs> become Smeagol. <laughs> you know, it's funny, I actually I don't know if I've ever told you. I had an obsession with Smeagol growing up. <laughs> and I had pictures of him. Uh, I got signed autograph from Andy Serkis. <laughs> no way! Yeah, and I had a cardboard cutout, life size of <laughs> Did You just used to stand next to it. Like, yeah, just look, look at each
0: we're other. We're the same. <laughs> <laughs> the of these of <laughs> I used to be
1: Gollum uh, and do all the nasty stuff, and then he got to be cute. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was the question? Um, yeah, was it horrible? Did it knock your confidence
0: <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was um it took years to go through that sort of evolution mm. as well because you have a certain style and you have a certain look, and with that your confidence, i guess yes. um so yeah, it probably took like five or six years to to work out who I was now in terms of you know my aesthetic yeah. and uh, um I definitely started going to the gym a bit more to try and beef up, because I think when you're, when you're bald,
1: it's not a good look if you're skinny and bald, you you can't, you you can have some muscle as well, right? (laughs) Right, so, so after you went to York, um, there was a drama centre, yeah, um, and so we know from last week that I absolutely loved it, yeah, what was it like for you?
0: Yeah, I loved it too, oh, it was, it was just an amazing and exciting time, um, when I think back the whole thing seems like a whirlwind, like falling in love, I guess. Yeah. Our classmates were amazing. Our tutors were amazing. And the whole thing was just pretty amazing. When I was younger and I would read actors' biographies, it was like being inside one of those. Mm. I think towards the end, there was a little bit of bureaucracy and sort of negativity and felt like the funding was being pulled from the university um, that sort of governs it. Uh, And I think ultimately that's now why drama center has, has sadly died and is closed. But yeah, no, I loved it. I loved the experience. And in fact, I wrote my dad a letter after we graduated, um, effectively saying thank you for saving my life. Um, because I think drama center was like the last and probably most important phase of, of me healing. Mm. And I think, during drama school was when I really got back to full mental health. So I think that's, yeah,
1: I think it was really oh, good. That's beautiful, man. Uh, so when when you leave the drama school bubble, it's, mm. uh, it's pretty strange. Uh, it's definitely strange for me what what was it like for you uh, yeah i think at first i was just like
0: trying to explore every possible avenue of getting work and networking and and meeting agents and casting directors and just really trying to work out how the industry all works making mistakes along the way
1: uh, did you work it out cuz no. <laughs> i'd love to know <laughs> no not really
0: <laughs> um But yeah, I mean, I had a different agent at that point, um, but not much was happening. And I, what else did I do? I started working in Honest Burger.
1: Um, But then LA happened. That must have been such an adventure. must have felt like everything was going right for you and you were set, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, so I'd been introduced to Simon, who's my agent, um, by our vocal coach at Drama Centre. He made it clear to me that he liked me, but he didn't really have space on his books to sign me at that
1: point, or at least that's what he was saying. Um, Wait, not, not enough room for a white middle class <laughs> 25 to 30 year old. Well, it's rare these days. <laughs> um,
0: and yeah, a, a few months later, we had another chat and he effectively wagered me that if he set up a month's worth of meetings for me in L.A., and mm. I went out there and impressed his US friends and colleagues. Um, then he'd signed me. So you went out for a month? Yeah, it was three weeks or four weeks, or wow. about a month. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And, and yeah, to, to go back to your question, um, yeah, for sure. I, I thought at that point I was the one who'd sort of broken through from our year. Mm. And how was LA? Wild, really. Very exciting. I'd never been there before. Uh, and for an actor, obviously, that's super exciting. And, and I had. Uh, one of my best friends from home come out with me too, Will. Um, nice. So it felt a bit like Entourage, if you've ever seen that. Mm. Um, but yeah, just I, I felt
1: super lucky. Um, and you got an American agent out of it, right? Yeah, well, it's actually a manager, but yeah, same same thing, I guess. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, Simon signed you properly from that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Took oh, me on. Very grateful. So I would love to know how you present yourself in meetings because you've you've spoken about how you had all these meetings in LA and I guess up to the point you are now you you would have had lots of meetings met with you know agents cast and directors mm. uh, been in auditions because mm-hmm. what's really hard is knowing the balance between coming across as a professional but also being someone with personality um yeah. how do you toe that line it's
0: definitely something that's changed quite significantly over the years mm. um I think when you first leave drama school, you have this sort of wash of different ideas of how you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So many different people give you different advice. For me personally, I was definitely playing up to my sort of angsty character, I guess, the troubled artist. Yeah, sort of, <laughs> sort of spinning that story, yeah. which, which these people have probably all seen a thousand times. Um, but yeah, over the years, as you sort of escape that that drama school uncertainty where you've been broken down and, and sort of built back up you sort of start to just get back into yourself mm-hmm. um and i think these days i just approach meetings with sort of warmth and openness and just go in and, and talk to these people as if they're human beings who are who are doing a job um rather than someone who's the gatekeeper to your success or failure <laughs> yeah um because you know half the time if you are right for the job or you're not right for the job it's it's not really even got anything to do with them it's just a mixture of luck and what you look like and all yeah. that sort of thing if i was going to give anyone advice i'd say just just be, just be yourself just be open <laughs>
1: oh yeah that's a that sound bit of advice just be <laughs> you kid yeah unless you're a twat in which case <laughs> in which else. case be someone else <laughs> <laughs> oh, <it's... laughs> and then from that you got uh, a part in annihilation Aenor Nation. Yeah. Um, I think there's two versions out there online. <laughs> um, so what was it like being on your first proper film set? <laughs> um, yeah, look, I mean, it
0: was a, it was a tiny, tiny role. But it was, it was an awesome production to be even a tiny, tiny part of. Um, yeah. I mean, like the, ho- the whole cast and crew were amazing. And like being there, the set design was incredible. Um, we've, we were filming in Oxfordshire, but it was made to feel like Florida and yeah, it was sort of like, uh, you know, like no acting required because you feel like you're there. I mean, in, in terms Mm. of the surroundings, um, and you know, obviously it was, it felt really cool being on set with big stars, really like Oscar Isaac and, um, I was was in a scene with him and, and then watching Natalie Portman filming like live that was really cool um,
1: and of course working with alex garland
0: yeah man um to, to be honest the way he works really impressed me but it, it also surprised me to some extent i mean me me and the two other young actors um were guided around all the different sets by alex um and he was just so passionate about it all it mm-hmm. was uh, sounds a bit wanky but it was a, it was a bit like working with you in the sense that (laughs) it felt like no cog is too small and everyone is as important as everyone else on set. Um, Whereas I expected the director to be sort of sitting on a chair and shouting down a megaphone. Um, But, you know, he was there hands on, covered in stage blood, throwing it onto the, onto the scene where he needed it. um, And talking to us about what he wants from the scene and, and really getting into the characters and the mood and, and being really encouraging as well, like looking through you could hear him looking through the view, viewfinder and being like, Yeah, like look how fucking good that looks. You know, it was just Oh, that's so yeah, nice. it's just it was just a really positive experience, the whole thing.
1: So after that you then went on to some other fairly high profile projects. Were they all as amazing as working with Alex Garland? Or, you know, had he set the bar so high that everything just falls underneath? <laughs> um, there were a few that were, were up there. But I did, I did have
0: an experience that, to be honest, I think it really knocked my confidence. Mm. Um, it was, it was another big budget project. Um, I won't name names. Um, again, I was, I was playing a, you know, it was, a, it was a small part. But whereas Alex Garland, like I say, made every part feel as important, and he showed passion and interest, and really invested in getting the best performance out of everyone yeah. and the best out of, of everyone. Um, I felt like the director on this project just wasn't interested in the smaller parts and and spent most of his time focusing on on the stars, really. And it just, I guess it made me feel like a prop, like yeah. part of the set. Um, you know, there were no notes on the performance or anything like that, unless it was technical stuff, you know, oh, you need to be closer to the screen. Mm-hmm. Or, and And it's just like, well, it felt a bit like, do you, do you care? Do you care how this film's going to turn out?
1: Yes. I, mean, I guess that's really interesting because you can sort of understand the, the need to spend more time with the, the big stars, but also, you know, there's so many other aspects of a scene that makes it work and makes it more believable and makes mm. it engaging for an audience. You know, like even someone walking across in the background, it needs to be at the right time. It needs to yeah. be, you know, the the right side of direction to give that to, to make, bring that scene to life. So you'd expect, I guess you'd, you'd hope that everyone was like Alex Garland where they, they see every cog as that piece is needed to then allow the bigger piece to turn.
0: Yeah. Look,
1: I imagine, to be fair
0: to this director, I imagine it probably was a a bigger film in terms of number of cast, number of crew. Yeah. Um, probably time filming and and all the different bits they had to get through um i guess yeah i guess i just wish that it had been a more similar experience to, mm. to what i experienced with alex whether or not that's possible i don't, I don't know but um, yeah
1: i guess we all just wish you know those good experiences were every time <laughs> when yeah. yeah you want the good times to to roll forever but i, I guess it's interesting that you get to see how It isn't always like that. And therefore, when you work with those directors that make it really nice and seamless and friendly, you appreciate it so much more. Yeah. And so how did you survive in
0: between jobs? Well, little jobs here and there, bits of voiceover work, stuff like that. But mainly, I I think I got a bit lucky again, a bit like with the agent. It was actually, it was actually my agent. He asked me if I'd be happy to help one of his more established clients find a new house. Because he was going through a divorce, and obviously I said yes. So yeah, this actor paid me to do that for a couple of weeks, and then decided that he'd like me to help out with other stuff too, which ended up going on for about two years. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, basically, I became his PA, uh, but I don't I don't like the term PA. I prefer the term helper. Seems sort of less serious, and for the most part, it was far from serious, and there was. A lot of sort of emotional support and and just being there, I guess, and helping with kids and dogs and that sort of thing. Hanging so. out,
1: playing computer games. We did a, we did a bit of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was was that easy moving between being an actor and then working as a, a helper? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, at, at first, I thought it was um,
0: because he gave me total flexibility for any filming and auditions. I think I did all my filming and, and stuff like that when I was working for him, I think. Um, But I think eventually it all just started to catch up with me, Mm. started getting a bit more full on in the second year when, when the divorce stuff started getting a bit more challenging um, for him. And I think eventually it all just started eating into my head space. And I think our relationship started to fray a bit because we were functioning kind of like a married couple. And I think I was a bit reluctant to let that happen. And I'm pleased to say we're still friends. So uh, I think it was probably the right move. Um, you know, but he was really supportive and, and helped out where possible. So in a very roundabout way, no, it wasn't easy balancing the two. Um, but I am very grateful for that period of time.
1: Mm. Um, so what, what's happening now? Uh, I think it's fair to say stuff with the acting is slightly slowed down <laughs> a little bit. Yeah,
0: I did that to you, so you've done it to me. I get it. I get it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Just one upmanship.
0: I, look, I think all the DOPs and
1: directors just got fed up with the glare from my bald, bald head. I mean, the amount that must have must get paid on your head makeup alone. Yeah, it's just anti glare. Yeah,
0: pure matte
1: powder. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they start painting it now, <laughs> going down to
0: B and Q. No, look, the the last few years have been really challenging in terms of stage and screen acting. I'm not going to lie about that. I think the reality of how competitive this industry is has been way more
1: apparent. Mm -hmm. So what goes through your head when you don't book the job? Um, Because it'd be easy to, I guess, start thinking negatively, sort of that downward spiral here. Yeah, I think, so the first few jobs I booked, I got got all of
0: them, I got 100% of them. mm -hmm. Um, And then there was a, a bit of a downward trend.
1: And I think I used to beat myself up quite a lot. I guess um, that would have been hard because you you've hit all three in a row, yeah. and you think, oh, okay, this is yeah. this auditioning thing's easy. You think
0: it's just going to keep happening every time, yeah, yeah. And you think every subsequent job's going to be bigger than the next one, and you're just going to keep growing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, you, you start sort of questioning. Oh, maybe it's maybe it's because I'm bald, or maybe it's because mm. what I look like, or what I sound like, or um, and the truth is, it's it's all of those factors. It's every variable. Um, yeah, you know, if if you book a job. Then all the variables have been forever in your favor. Um, <laughs> so it's, I, I guess, over the years I've just learned not to think like that and to sort of do an audition, mm-hmm. forget about it, and then if I hear anything back, like you've been penciled or they want to see you again, great. But otherwise, just try and push it out your mind. Yeah. And, and honestly, over the years that becomes way more easy. I I I, I do an audition and I forget about it, and I definitely don't start imagining what i'm going to spend the money on <laughs> um, cuz when you particularly for like commercial meetings you know where they're paying like 5 to 25 grand you start thinking oh man i'm going to going to spend that on a new motorbike or <laughs> how many how many yachts have you written checks for <laughs> but also my perspective towards acting as a holder has, has shifted for sure what do you mean um, i guess i just sort of start to see it as a a secondary revenue stream as Mm -hmm. as something that can come and go rather than something that i'm going to lose sleep over if i'm not booking jobs Um, right okay and then at the same time sort of starting to work on developing other skills elsewhere
1: okay uh, what what have you been up to
0: in terms of acting i've been focusing a lot more on voiceover recently Oh, nice. Um, You know, commercials, video games, animation, corporate stuff, that sort of thing. Um, And actually, I think that side of the industry is a little bit more open and accessible. Uh, And also, I think if you cold email or cold call people in that industry with a a decent set of voice demos, then they will get back to you and they will work with you, Um, which is obviously very different to the stage and screen industry, which is far more closed.
1: Yeah, I mean, it definitely uh, seems more inviting. Yeah. Like the, the voiceover industry. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, so what about music? What's going on there? Yeah. Uh, Got a debut, baby.
0: Yeah. I'm releasing an EP sometime in June or July, hopefully, depending on the lockdown and what we can get done. Um, but all the recording's finished. It's now just sort of mixing and mastering.
1: Amazing. Well, I'm very excited to uh, to hear it all. So music has always been a passion for you. You know, it's that first sort of creative avenue you went down. mm but not to be the voice of doom, it's another very challenging industry. Um, yes. So, so, so why try and pursue it now? Oh, Danny, that's a very good question. Thank you.
0: <laughs> I think there's a couple of things. Firstly, I've just been sitting on it for too long and I, I want to do it as, as a passion project. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not seeing it as it is, as something that has to work. It's, I've not set it up as a... Uh, career ladder like I did with acting it's just something I'm doing and if something happens it happens right. um but the motivation was that um in december of 2019 I very sadly and unexpectedly lost one of my best friends from home um and he he was my I guess he was my music buddy um in that we we shared we always shared music we loved uh And we played together a lot and we jammed together and he would always listen through any demos I'd recorded and say if they were good or shit. Um, and I, I guess when he died, it just kind of put a rocket up my ass Mm. to get a fucking move on and not be scared of failing. Um, yeah, no, that was
1: shit. It's so sad. Um, the whole situation but if... yeah i'm
0: try- i'm sort of trying not to go into it too much because i'll just kind of start weeping or something um yeah but...
1: but i think there's something amazing that he's still influencing you now and he's still pushing that music with you
0: yeah for sure and i think of him i think would he like this
1: which is difficult
0: because <laughs> um i think we should end on that super
1: happy note <laughs> But, but yes, yes, uh, but there's one question you know I have to ask you. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> Would you say you are too stupid to quit? Nah, no, man. What this is, the premise gonna... of, this is the premise of our podcast, it's all falling <laughs> it's... apart at the seams. I told you I was gonna, I was gonna fight. All right, it. come on, let's hear it,
0: let's hear the argument. Um, no, look, I, I've got so much respect for anyone who works in these industries. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes so much emotional energy just to get one little crumb of work yeah um so too stubborn to quit i i would maybe go with i'd um, argue
1: that stubbornness and stupidity are close no, mm, kindred spirits because no. you never if you're in an argument you never say oh i'm i'm not going to give up on this because i'm being stubborn you yeah. say because i'm being i'm right
0: okay too committed to quit then how about that yeah but i
1: mean yeah okay you have what you want i just think
0: most of us can't imagine doing anything else but also if i if i hadn't have been through all of this with drama school and acting and building a network and and all that sort of thing then i wouldn't have the contacts Mm -hmm. to get a foot in the door with anything else i want to do with voiceover with music um even with this podcast for example um and and you know, going down one avenue opens up way more doors. Going through one door opens up way more doors. If that makes sense. Mm. So maybe I'm too smart to quit. Yeah. Maybe I'm too sexy <laughs> to quit. You know how what? Do you you have, like, you, how do you like their map? You have, bitch?
1: in episode two, broke the foundation of which this podcast is based on. Good. Um, I don't want people to say they're stupid. <laughs> no, other people aren't meant to. We are. Right. I think you're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so now we're at the pandemic feature of our podcast where we rip off <laughs> Desert Island discs. Yeah. Um So join me, Josh, and tell me uh, five of your favourites and a piece of advice. Yeah. So we shall start with favourite film. Yeah, I'm going to try and whiz
0: through these. Uh, So uh, funnily enough, uh, the director of your silly film question, Christopher Nolan, I'm going with Interstellar because Mm -hmm. I love sci-fi. Sci-fi is probably my favourite genre and it is has amazing character arcs and beautiful visuals and amazing music, and I love it.
1: You know what? I'm a little bit upset. You've um, called me a nerd for liking Star Mm. Trek, and here you are talking so fondly about something that wouldn't even be there without Star Trek, and it's um, pioneering filmmaking. Uh, Well, I apologise for calling you a nerd. I myself am also
0: a nerd, so you can feel free to call me a nerd, Um, but it's Interstellar, and that's what it is. Right. TV show. This one was difficult because of how much amazing TV's being made at That's the moment. so good. I mean, not right at this moment. I <laughs> guess. No one's filming. Yeah. 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 Admittedly. Yeah. So I've gone a bit outside the box. I've gone away from drama and comedy and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I've gone with the UK's grandfather, David Attenborough box set. I don't care which one it nice. is, any of them. I love him. And when he dies, it'll be the saddest thing in the world.
1: I'd like to extend the title of English Rose to David Attenborough. It's normally it's normally reserved for eighteen year old female female, actors, (laughs) but uh, David Attenborough is an English Rose. Um. So, is there one in particular that you want to throw in?
0: Honestly, any of
1: them. Uh, And if you're pushed,
0: Uh, Planet Earth or Life, maybe.
1: All right, I'll take that.
0: So, what is your favorite book? Oh, so I had. I was thinking Life of Pi because it has okay. all this awesome animal psychology and then a really nice, fantastical journey. So as a standalone book, it would be that. But my Bible is the <laughs> Harry Potter series. And so I'm, I'm going with that, if you'll let me have all of them. Allowed.
1: Great. Harry Potter's too good to not yeah. throw in there. Someone's got it. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh,
0: album? Uh, you might... There's maybe a little bit outside the box. Maybe you were thinking I was going to pick some indie folk or some singer songwriter music or something depressing. Say, yeah. <laughs> something that I tend to listen to. Uh, but I'm going with hands down my favorite album of all time, which is Bob Marley legend.
1: Ah, oh, yeah, that is a, 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 not what I jumped to. Um, very nice.
0: Whenever I listen to it, it's just instant upbeat happiness and, um, yeah, that needs to be in a pandemic time capsule for sure to make people feel happy. Nice. I love that. Brilliant. And your favorite piece of art? Yeah, I really struggle with this because um, I was listening back to yours and, and obviously your mosaic's really sentimental. And mm. I was I was just trying to find something that I have a real connection to. Um, but I was sort of like Googling famous piece of art I was, like, <laughs> I was like nah that's not doing it for me um until i came across the painting of whistler's mother um oh yeah which is by an artist called james abbott McNeil whistler um, it's hideous yeah. <laughs> it's, hi- it's a hideous <laughs> painting but um have you seen bean the movie mr <laughs> mr bean i have yes yes yeah. <laughs> well the sort of dramatic crux of that is um i think they're hosting like a like a, a reveal of this this painting that's i can't remember if it has just been found or mm. something it's, it's you know it's it's been locked away somewhere and they've just found it so they're showing it off and mr bean is staying with this art curator and he, he sneezes on the painting oh, yes. <laughs> when no <laughs> one else is in the room. And then he, he goes to get his hanky out to wipe it down, but his pens leaks onto the hanky, so it gets all <laughs> smudged blue ink all over <laughs> it. Um, and so he's doing his classic Mr. Bean running around trying to fix the problem, puts paint stripper on it and ruins the painting. <laughs> uh, and it's just uh, it's just a brilliant scene. And uh and it's very funny.
1: But he draws a face on it, right? Yeah, yeah, but
0: the, he he tries to fix the original one by drawing a face on it, but then eventually he, he gets a print
1: from the art from oh, like the yeah. gallery shop. So um, which what <laughs> is it? The the version where he draws a face on, which we're having. <laughs> yeah, why not? Let's go with that one. Oh, that That'd be so good. That would be brilliant. That's going to confuse future generations when they open this time capsule and see what is <laughs> other than the face a lovely piece of artwork. It's not though, is it? Oh my God, Whistler's mother is worth at least
0: 30 million. It's hideous. Anyway, that's what I'd
1: like, please. (laughs) (laughs) Wicked. And what is your piece of advice?
0: My piece of advice is don't be a dick.
1: That's very good. Yeah. Very good. Uh, I think we should all take heed of that piece of advice and take it forth into the world. well, thank you for taking part in your interview, Josh. It was a delight to listen to you. Thank, thank you for
0: for having me on our podcast.
1: If you liked what you heard, um, you like the cut of our jib, then please subscribe. Uh, I'm sure that's something you can do. And um, we'll we'll be getting some actual other people on next time. So uh, listen up, look out, check your social media. Yeah,
0: yeah, and you know maybe we'll get some big names too. You never know. You never know. Mm. Well, I'll speak to you soon, Danny.
1: See you, dude. Love you. Love
0: you.